we received quite a few questions on today's topic. Uh, quite a few kind of very similar questions. And when Pastor Kelly was looking through the questions, she came to questions on this topic and she walked up to me and she said, David, these are for you. And I looked at questions and I thought, thank you very much. How wonderful that I get to deal with these questions. Because the questions that we're looking at today are, are sicknesses and diseases, the challenges from God or the result of personal sins? And does God heal people today? I can personally add some extra questions to this subject if you like. I would also add for me a question of why did I have this sickness? Why? Why me? What is the purpose of sickness and disease? What's going on here? And I'm going to start this morning with, with a disclaimer, which is potentially a terrible way to start a sermon. But I feel like I want to start by saying that I, I don't have all the answers. I'm sorry if you've come this morning and you want uh, a plan of how you answer these questions. I, I don't have all the answers because it's such a difficult topic to, to wrestle with and to find a solution to. But what I would like to do this morning is to share a little bit of my story, to share a little bit of why I've wrestled with this topic, why I've wrestled with this subject really for all my life. and why it's something that, that is actually very close to, to my heart and a question that mean, means a lot to me. And as I say, I'm going to mainly this morning share a little bit of my testimony because I was born, let's say, the mid-80s. And when I was born, I was in a real hurry to arrive. I was really keen to, to get out into the world. And in fact, I was in a little bit too much of a hurry to arrive and my mum didn't quite make it to the hospital she made it to the hospital car park but she didn't make it any further than that and my my dad was in the hospital car park banging on the hospital door saying let me in let me in my wife's having a baby and the nurses inside the hospital thought my dad was a drunk who had come to the hospital at two in the morning and so they didn't let him in and the first thing uh, that happened was a nurse came to the door, she looked out and she said, oh no, there's a baby. And she arrived just in time to scoop me off the pavement uh, and take me back in, or take me into the hospital. And after I was born, they realized that there was a problem. I wasn't keeping food down. And I spent the first three months uh, in hospital where I had a number of unnecessary surgeries, I was eventually diagnosed with, a, with an intestine disease and I was transferred to a specialist paediatric hospital where I was operated on by the top paediatric surgeon in the UK. And to give you an idea of the severity of the illness, my surgeon, who he, he's well known for, for doing surgeries to separate conjoined twins, so twins who were born stuck together, he's a really top surgeon, he said to my father afterwards, that I was as close to death on the operating table as he'd ever had a baby be and then go on to survive. But I did survive. And after seven months of being in hospital, I left Great Ormond Street. And I left Great Ormond Street with no large intestine, uh, so no large bowel, and a large part of my small bowel missing as well. But 
I grew up having to be careful. I had to be careful with my diet in particular. I was in hospital once after eating uh, the wrong thing. I also had two healthy younger brothers uh, who were born after me because they're younger brothers. And they're both my little brothers. I can say they're my little brothers because they're not in the room. But because they're both healthy, they're also both about a foot taller than me. And they like to lord it over me at every opportunity they can. But they are my little brothers. And it's also important to note, I was prayed for so faithfully throughout this time. I was prayed for so faithfully by family, by friends, by people in my home church who literally knew me from when I was born. And I know that people prayed, prayed for me, but it was really difficult. It is it's important to acknowledge it was really difficult, particularly for my parents, because they were overwhelmed with prayer, but they were also living with the reality of having a really sick little boy that they had to look after, and a sick little boy that required a lot of work and a lot of taking care of. But there were answers to prayer. There were massive answers to prayer. I went on to a normal school. I lived a relatively normal life. It wasn't the complete healing that everyone in my home church in particular had asked for, had prayed for, but actually I was able to live a, 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 a pretty much a normal life. I was able to play a serious, competitive, physical sport. I was actually the county champion at my sport. I don't mean to brag. My wife told me that I wasn't allowed to bring my trophy with me. But if you want to see it, I can bring it another Sunday. I can show you my trophy. And the sport that I was county champion at required a lot of, of work to build muscle, uh, to build particularly upper body strength. Where is my table tennis uh, certificate, Caroline? It's not funny. Um, but but I, I, I grew up a relatively normal, happy, healthy child. I was building my dreams. I was getting ready to finish school, getting ready to go to university. I started university. I was planning a career. I was planning what I was going to do when I finished university. I met a gorgeous young lady who for some reason agreed to go out with me and then for some reason agreed to marry me. Everything was going great. I was two weeks before my wedding and I went on my stag night, which is the night you have with all your friends before you get married. And halfway through my stag night, I collapsed. And thank God that my dad was with me. My dad is a GP, a doctor, because my dad recognized that something wasn't quite right. And he arranged for me to see a neurologist uh, on the Monday morning. And so I went to see the neurologist and the neurologist said, there's something not quite right going on here. So I think we should do an MRI scan, a scan of, of your brain and head and neck, just to make sure there's nothing too awful. So I went into hospital a few days later, I had an MRI scan. And after I had the MRI scan, an MRI scan is meant to last 30 minutes. 
and mine lasted about seven minutes and they pulled me out and I will forever remember sitting on a hospital bed with my dad on my left and the doctor on my right and the doctor came and said I, I'm really sorry to say this David but we found a very very large brain tumor right at the center of your brain and we need to do emergency brain surgery like right now right now The way he phrased it, I didn't understand because I'm not a doctor. All I knew was that my dad just broke down and started sobbing and sobbing and sobbing because my dad realised the full implications of what had just been said. The surgery uh, was planned for Saturday morning, which is very rare in, in England to have surgery on a Saturday. But the neurosurgeon looked at the scan, looked at what they found in my brain, and they realised that unless they did surgery as soon as they could, this thing was going to kill me. And so I came out of my scan, I was put on hourly observations. And at this time, prayer warriors around the world were mobilized. My parents sent emails, sent texts, sent phone calls to literally every continent of the world and got people praying, got people interceding, got people seeking God for protection, seeking God that his hand would be on me and that I would make it through. Surgery was planned on a Saturday morning and the surgeon told us that I would be in surgery for four hours And he actually said it's important the surgery is four hours because I have tickets for the rugby in the afternoon <laughs> and, and I need to make it to the rugby He missed his rugby game by a really long way because I was in surgery for seven hours as my surgeon battled to remove a very large and a very complex tumor from the very center of my brain Recovery was, as I'm sure you'll understand, really long. We had to postpone our wedding. I was partway through studying, as I say, theology and youth ministry, and I had to drop out of my degree for six months because I wasn't able to continue. I restarted university six months later in September 2007, and Caroline and I also got married. But I still massively struggled with particularly my short-term memory. I struggled with energy levels and I couldn't remember really anything. It had a huge impact on my early 20s. I, I watched as a lot of my friends were starting to build careers. They were getting degrees, they were getting qualifications, they were starting to make plans, put things in place and build for the future. And all the while I was just trying to make it through the day. I was just learning to try to get through the day without needing a nap in the afternoon because I was so exhausted and those first few months were horrible and the first few years were really hard and actually what happened in 2007 has still had repercussions very recently because I had a seizure convulsion in February 2017 which I'm more likely to have having had open brain surgery and in fact, my seizure was so violent that when I came round from the seizure, my shoulder had dislocated itself. And I dislocated my shoulder two more times in the following few months. Uh, once through sport, once just because I slept on my left side. And so I needed shoulder surgery last year. And many of you will have seen that I came to church for quite a few, quite a few months with my, my arm in a sling. I wasn't able to do anything. 
when I look back at the whole event in 2007 of what happened, when I look back over the whole time of my being ill and my, like the, the sickness that I've been through, I look and I just think there's little moments, there were little God moments throughout. There were little God moments where I just look back and I think, wow, God was so with me. God was so with me at that moment. God was so, had me just in the palm of his hand at that moment. My earliest memory was coming round in the, in the post-operative ward um, at Charing Cross Hospital and just sitting in the ward singing, he's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands and I'll fear no evil for you are with me, strong to deliver and mighty to save. He's got the whole world in his hands. So in the light of my experiences of sickness and disease, of being ill, how do I answer the question that we started with of why is there sickness and disease in the world? Well, the first thing I, I look at is how did God plan for it to be? How did God plan for it to be? We look at the Genesis story. God created the heavens and the earth and people, and it was good. God created the heavens and the earth and the people, and it was good. In, in my small group this week, we started the prayer course, and the presenter described how God intended us to be in relationship with him. The presenter, a man called Pete Gregg, explained three reasons that sometimes prayers aren't answered. And the first reason really struck me. The first reason he gave as to why prayers aren't answered, and I think it really relates to today's question, is it's God's world. First of all, some prayers aren't answered because it's just the way God's made the world to work. C.S. Lewis said, nothing can seem extraordinary until you have discovered what is ordinary. We need to live in a world where the laws of nature are exactly that, so that when miracles do happen, we recognize them for what they are. In a similar way, when sin entered the world, it brought sickness with it. When sin entered the world, it brought sickness with it. And in our broken world, sin and sickness plays a part. Because when man opened the door for sin, the devil got a hold and allowed sickness to take a hold as well. Some people also ask the question, does God uh, cause sickness and disease? Again, it's a question, I'll be honest, I've asked myself many, many times, particularly since 2007, why? Why did I have this random tumour in the middle of my brain? It would be weird if I didn't ask myself that question. Why, why me? Why do I have two healthy little brothers who have nothing wrong with them at all? These are questions that I've always asked. And often people say, does God cause sickness and disease? I read a wonderful article which responds to this question. And in the article, uh, Bill Johnson, who's the pastor of Bethel Church, summed this up very simply, but I think very effectively by saying, you can only give away what you have. Can God give away sickness? No, he's not sick. Can God give away sickness? No, he's not sick. I think we can confidently say that God is not the root cause of sickness. From the initial fall to today, 
there is an earthly order of things. And that order, that way of working, is an imperfection from what God intended it to be. We live in a fallen and imperfect world where sin and sickness have a hold. But here's the good news. And here's the thing that I hold on to and that I've held on to when I've thought about what's happened to me, when I've reflected, when I've been in dark places trying to work out why did this happen to me? What went on? And the thing I've come to and that the conclusion I've come to which is so exciting is that we have a hope. We have a hope. We have a hope. Why do we have a hope? Revelation 21.4 He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. For the old order of things has passed away. We are in the old order of things now. We are in the old order of things now and we need a solution. And we need a solution. I'll come back to that. Does God ever choose not to heal is another question lots of people ask and it's a question again I've asked myself as much as I talk about my story of healing and my story of of kind of gradually and over a long period of time recovering from sickness I've also seen people not be healed I've spoken before about a friend of mine who died at 19 years old uh, from a brain tumor and we prayed for healing and he wasn't healed even some of our biblical heroes were not healed. The Apostle Paul, for example, in 2 Corinthians, Paul talks about a thorn in the flesh, some kind of sickness, some kind of illness, some kind of, of something that was wrong with him. And he was not healed of it. He wasn't sure why. But Paul did the obvious thing in the situation. He accepted it. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, my gracious favour is all you need. My power works best in your weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may work through me. Since I know it is all for Christ's good, that I am quite content with my weaknesses and with insults, hardships, persecutions and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. For when I am weak, then I am strong. What I'm about to say is not contradictory, but some of us have witnessed incredible acts of healing in our lives, and some of us are going to witness incredible healing in the future. I want our church, I want the bridge to be a place where God works miracles. I want the bridge to be a place where people come expecting God to do things. And when we see this, when we see God doing things, we say, praise the Lord. We say, praise God, for he is good. I want this to be a place where people come and they see signs and wonders and they give thanks because of it. For others, like myself in some ways, we won't be healed. I live with the consequences of having no colon. I haven't been healed. For many people here, we live with sicknesses and diseases, but we still have to say, praise the Lord. We still have to say, praise the Lord, because when I am weak, he is strong. Because when I am weak, he is strong. I have a hope for my future. But even before then, before I reach eternity, and I reach the place where I have a new body, and everything works, God is going to use my weakness for his glory. God is going to use my weakness for his glory. My challenge 
is how to use what I've gone through for God's glory. And I'll be honest, I was really hesitant about sharing with you this morning. When, when Pastor Kelly came and she gave me this bit of paper, I went home to Caroline, my, my wife, and I said, why, why couldn't she have given this to someone else? Shortly, there's other people. Because I, I don't want to be known as the guy who's missing most of his insides. <laughs> That's what my brothers call me. <laughs> I don't want to be known as the guy who had a brain tumor. But in light of this subject, in light of what we're looking at this morning, I believe I can only look at what's happened to me, the experiences I've had, what we've gone through, and by we I mean my wife and I have gone through, and use my testimony for God's glory. So God, does God ever choose not to heal? I've read a few things in answer to this question, and a few quotes popped up that I just thought were brilliant that I would like to share with you. The biblical scholar uh, Stephen Lang writes, every person who has ever been healed has died. Even Lazarus, the friend Jesus raised from the dead, died again. The Bible makes no promise that our present bodies, whatever their condition, will stay healthy or last forever. In fact, the Bible promises something much more glorious. A new body, like our present ones, but also different. A body made for eternity. That's the hope we're holding on to. Not that my body here now is going to be healed and everything's going to work perfectly, but that I'm going to have a new body in eternity. And that place has been made for me, that place has been got ready for me through the blood of Jesus Christ. The solution, I mentioned this earlier, Bill Johnson wrote, God chose 2,000 years ago to make a purchase. 2,000 years ago, Jesus made a purchase. He does not decide to heal people or not to heal people. He does not decide to heal people today. The decision 2,000 years ago was to heal. Either the payment was sufficient for all sin or no sin. Either the payment was sufficient for all sickness or no sickness. The brushstroke of God's redemption was to wipe out the root of sin, the root of sickness and the root of poverty. What's God's response to sickness, to disease and to the struggles that we all face with health, which many of us face with health? God's promise is restoration. God's promise is restoration. And for some people, this happens on earth. For other people, this is going to happen in eternity. Romans 6, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So how, as I've said already, how does God respond to sickness in the world? His response was to send Jesus Christ. Fully God and fully man, who came and experienced pain and suffering and death, who experienced the full repercussions of living in a fallen world, in a world where we're bound by the cost of sin, but he bore hope. A hope that death has lost its sting. A hope that we will be resurrected and have eternal life in Christ. And he brought that hope through his death and his resurrection, through his death on the cross. So we're going to finish today by remembering his death as we share communion together. We're going to finish by remembering the price that he paid for us 
with his body and his blood when he died on the cross. Because that, that sacrifice that he made opened the way for us to overcome sickness and disease, to overcome the things that restrict us in this life. Hey, this is Kelly, lead pastor of the Bridge International Church. We hope you enjoyed this week's message from the Bridge. If you'd like more information about the Bridge, or if you'd like to get in touch with us, visit us at thebridgeparis.com.